Good morning. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, Sam, you're always different. Uh, you were thinking that. I know you were. Actually, what we're going to do this morning, you got a little piece of paper, or you should have if you got a bulletin. I want you all to make your best paper airplane. No, I want you to just write down real briefly. I want you to write down in one or just a few words what comes to your mind when you hear the name Jesus Christ. A friend of mine had on his Facebook, he mentioned that, uh, you know, he was glad that Jesus was, and then he put a couple of words like kind, and then other people would start chiming in onto that. But I want you guys to just write a word, you know, maybe it's good, whatever it is. I'm not going to give you any ideas. This isn't a test. You're not being graded afterwards. Um, but just take a minute. If you need a pen, there's some pens in the back. If you need a piece of paper, Mary's got the paper back there. And just take a minute. And then what I'm going to have you do is after you're done writing that, if you can hand them to me or to Val and give them to me afterwards, a flurry of brainwaves taking place here this morning. It could be a couple of words. I just don't want a paragraph. You know, to me, he is the essence of, you know, then I'm just going to skip it to the next one. So if it's just a word or a couple words, you know, something that kind of captures your attention when you think of the name Jesus Christ. And as you're writing those things down, Again, if you have it, you can raise your hand up and we'll come. Maybe if you could pass them towards the center or somewhere to make life easier for Val. And if you're done, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. And you don't have to sign them. <laughs> also, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have Bible and paper. That's right. Okay. And guys, whenever you get those done, just um, hand them up to me. We'll start reading Acts chapter 11. Wow, there's a lot of them. It's cool. And if you have some later, you can hand them to us again to stay. Okay. Acts chapter 11. You'll see the relevance of these, <laughs> hopefully, later. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19. It said, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people 
were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here we have this message, the good news, as it says, of Jesus Christ spreading out to the Gentile world. We saw that some of them went only to the Jews, but there were a handful who went to Antioch. Erwin McManus, in his book, Wide Awake, says that success is the result of making wise investment, investments, and there is no wiser investment than investing in people. These men crossed the line. As God had opened the door previously, we saw with Peter to Cornelius. And we saw last week how the leaders and the elders in Jerusalem were a little upset at the beginning because he went into the house of a Gentile. But what that did is give a, an open door to these others. And though some would only go to the Jews, there were a few who went into Antioch. Now, Antioch was the third largest city of Rome. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and then there was Antioch. And Antioch, one of the main temples that were there for worship was that of Daphne. And Daphne in Greek mythology was seduced by Apollo, and that was a part of their worship. It was a part of their religion. It was very immoral. It was very sensual. And so here was a city that was known for that kind of lifestyle. And these guys say, let's go to Antioch. And as they go to Antioch and, and start talking to people, telling them the good news, in that word it says in verse 20 that they began to speak to the Greeks also, it was proclaim. They made known the good news about Jesus Christ. And a great number of people believed in the Lord. Well, the word of this got back to Jerusalem. They said, hey, something big's happening, happening in Antioch. Antioch? Can anything good come out of Antioch? Isn't that where Daphne worship is taking place? That city is foul. That city's bad. We, what, what's going on there? Barney, you better go down there. Check it out. And so they sent Barnabas. Never mind, I'm not going to sing the song. Anyway, Barnabas goes there to Antioch to find out what's going on. And as he's there, it says that he saw the grace of God, the evidence of the grace of God, and was glad. These men invested in the people there in Antioch. And God started doing a work there. What would happen if these people didn't go there? You see, God has always been concerned about people. Religion is concerned about traditions, rituals, but God has always been concerned about people. We talked about that last week when Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. God's point was to do something that was beneficial to man, not the other way around. 
And we see here that these men stepped into this arena that was totally new, totally, gosh, this must have been a unique situation for these Jewish people to go into this city that was known for these things and to begin spreading this message of Jesus Christ. It must have started just a commotion. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we, we've got another story of some people kind of interceding for someone else. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking of themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. There are so many powerful things to this story. I mean, Jesus' question to them, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because, you know, how do you know, you know? But to say take up your bed and walk, that's, you, you better be able to prove that. You better be able to back that up. And he says, but that you might know that I have that authority to forgive sins, that I have that role of deity. He said to him, take up his bed and walk. But the, the thing I want to focus on really in this story is how this took place. Because where would this paralytic man be if it wasn't for his friends? Laying down somewhere. And so here they go with this mat, and they're carrying this mat, and then they get to the, the house, and it's packed. People are outside, and, and they can't get in. And they're like, man, what do we do? And some of them said, on the roof. Let's go up on the roof. And they had this idea. This is how you know they were boys or something. At one time, they got on the roof. There's one time I was at church and I was sitting down and all of a sudden on the roof I heard doom, 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 doom. And I go, oh no, it's my boys. <laughs> and I was right. Uh, anyway, and so these men go up on the roof, and the roofs are, are made out of this clay and straw mixture, and that's why it says they started digging through. 
And so no doubt there's this noise, there's this commotion as they start clawing their way through this roof and as the breeze starts falling down on the people around them and they're all sitting there and then they start lowering this guy down. Now, what is the owner of the house thinking, first of all? Hey, hey, this is my house. And, and as it comes down, you know, have you ever been in line to the movies or something and then there's a couple of people there, but then all of a sudden they're saving the room for their friends, you know, and their friends are like 20 people that come in and now, you know, you're, yeah. Anyway, this is kind of like that, where the guy gets lowered down. And what if Jesus was about to talk to someone and said, oh, brother, I, in the name, and then, oh, wait, hang on a second. It's like, no, what was it? Come on, give it to me. They cut in line, in a sense, drop down, interrupt the whole procedure that's taking place there. This big commotion, everyone's watching, and this bed comes down. There's this guy laying there. You got to think, what, what's he thinking looking around? Hi, everyone, you know, here I go. And they drop him down in front of Jesus, and he says the most unusual thing that I want to kind of key on with what we're talking about this morning. He says to them, when Jesus saw their faith in verse 5, he said to the paralytic, he saw their faith, plural, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. What does their faith have to do with his sins being forgiven? Isn't that an individual thing? How does their faith affect him? And I think our culture has blinded us to how important it is to have people in our lives, in our relationships, because we can become very self-focused, very isolated, and we forget how important it is to have others around us. That's why the scripture talks about the body of Christ. That's what the church is known as. And that illustration of a body is you're a part of each other in a very, very close-knit way. If I stub my toe, my whole body knows it and reacts. <laughs> and we have lost how important we are connected. Because of their faith, he said to the paralytic, my sins are forgiven. As they made the step, and brought this person to Jesus. This man was made whole because they believed and cared more about him than they did themselves. What did they get out of this? What did these four men get out of this paralytic? What did they have in it? What was their motivation? Nothing for self. It was about this guy. They cared about this guy, and that's what they cared about, period. They weren't, well, maybe we'll get in on this. Maybe we'll get some healing, too. Maybe, you know, we'll get... They probably had to fix the roof. But they cared so much about their friend that they forgot about themselves and went before Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith and said to this man, your sins are forgiven. We need to recognize that we are a part of God's work in the lives of other people. 
back in Acts chapter 11. When Barnabas came to Antioch, in verse 23 it says, when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. Now that captured my attention. What is the evidence of the grace of God? And I started thinking about that and, and how, can we, how can we get a hold of what the evidence of the grace of God is? And I, I thought of something, and I want to, again, involve you. This is involvement day for all of us here at Genesis, okay? You've given me your pieces of paper, and I'm going to have you involved one more thing. Now, I wanted to read these all together so that you hear them all before I ask you to do something, because I'm going to ask you if any of these things apply to you to stand up, but I want you to wait till we're done with the whole list so you're not singled out as which one is you, you know? Which one of you were beaten up by girls in school? That Oh, you know, sorry. So wait till the list is done, and then you can respond by standing up. If not for the grace of God, who would be strung out on alcohol or drugs? Who would be in prison? Who would have lost their marriage? Who would have lost their family? Or who thinks they possibly would even be dead? If any of these apply to you, if not for the grace of God, would you stand up? I want you to see the evidence of the grace of God in your life. You may be seated. Now, this list is just small, and I tried to make it a little sensational so you would see how dramatic it is. But the evidence of the grace of God are lives that are changed, lives that get turned around because God's mercy comes upon them. And because of the grace of God, all those who stood some part of this applies to you. It is the evidence of God's grace in your life. And it says that Barnabas was glad. Something about you guys standing up and not knowing specifically which one belongs to you, but to know that, wow, God touched your life, changed your life in such a way that you're here today instead of strung out, instead of in prison, instead of dead of the grace of God. That makes you glad to see what God is able to do in the lives of people. And as he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad because God's grace in our lives, or the evidence of God's grace in our lives are that our lives are restored, that we are connected to God and made whole because of what he has done. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for my sins, restored me to God, and the evidence of God's grace is now in my life that has been changed. And he saw these things, and then he goes off and he gets someone. Verse 25, it says that Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for the whole year. They were there, and then they began to teach. The numbers grew. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Again, we see that Barnabas is now saying, something big's happening here. I need help. I remember a guy. Oh, man, this guy. 
if I get this guy down here, we're talking. And Barnabas was wise enough to see that this was a work that needed more than just his, himself. Just like that paralytic needed his friends to bring him to Jesus. Just like these men had to go into Antioch to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Barnabas needed help and he went and got Saul. And for a whole year they started doing this work and it grew. It grew so much that they had to think of a name for these people. And so they started calling them Christians, which means little Christs. It's interesting that they were named Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. By the way, you will know us now as Christians. They just said, who are all these people whose lives are showing the evidence of change in this city that is corrupt, in this city that is just going to hell in a handbasket and going downhill in his debauch? There are these people that are standing out. What do we call them? Well, they're followers of Jesus Christ. Well, they're like little Christs. I remember one time when I was in Wales and I was talking to some of the kids there. And I forget if it was the second or third year that I went there and I was talking with this couple and as I was engaging them just in conversation and they were saying, well, you know, you and, and the group that is there, you're, you're like Jesus to us. Not that they worshipped us, but that we represented Jesus to them. That when they talked to us, they felt like they were encountering the Lord himself. And these people had that effect on this community. There's another story. You don't have to turn to it. It's in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus gives a parable. Have you ever read some of the parables that Jesus says, and, you know, if it wasn't Jesus, it wouldn't make sense, but because it's Jesus, it's got to make sense because it's Jesus, you know, he's got to be right, so i got to figure this one out. And you're all thinking, okay, Sam, where are you going from here? In Luke 16, he talks about the shrewd manager, where this landowner says to the manager, give me a count for everything that you did, because you no longer work for me, because this guy was embezzling. And the guy says, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I, I'm too weak to dig. I can't work like that anymore, and I don't really have any people that will take me in. Once I lose this job, man, when I have this gig's gone, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and so he quickly talks to all the people that owe his boss money, and he settles with them for less. In other words, you, you owe 800 bushels, well, just give 600. And he negotiates with what isn't his money. He gives everyone a deal, but it's not his money. This isn't a good thing. First he was embezzling, and then he took his masters, what they owed him, and he made it less. And then the, own, the landowner said, he is shrewd. And he is wise. And I want to read it to you real quick. I know it's going to quote it, but I've got to get the words right. Because you would think he would rebuke him. You would think he would be rebuked for his lack of integrity. This man would be rebuked because he didn't do what was right. But it says instead, 
Oops, I'm in Mark. Luke 16. Should have had it ahead of time. Instead of him being rebuked for what he did, he gets commended. And in verse 8, it says, the master commended the dishonest manager. He commended the dishonest manager. This is coming from Jesus. That's where my head goes, huh? You know, how could he commend someone who is dishonest? What's going on here? He's trying to bring a point, and it's an important one. He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. These are one of those things that makes you just kind of go, what's he talking about here? He's talking about investing in people. This man was shrewd, not because he was dishonest, but because at the end he saw what he needs to do is not just get money for himself, try and hoard up as much money as he can. What he needs to do is invest in people because people will then take care of him. And he was wise enough to see that what was necessary was the investment in those relationships. And the same thing is true with us. Our investment is in people. These men went to Antioch, invested in these men. Barnabas called Saul, and now we're going to see this book starts taking a whole different detour because of this man, Saul, who we know as Paul. Because Barnabas invested in him. And as they invested in these people in this community, they were known as Christians. One of the things, one of my pet peeves, is the use of the word Christian. Because here we see in this story as it takes place, these people had to be titled because they represented Jesus. They were like Christ, little Christ, mirrors of who Jesus is. But today, what does Christian mean? We have Christian bookstores. We have Christian clothing. We have Christian radio stations. Christian music. Can a bookstore represent Jesus? Well, they can have books that talk about Jesus. Can a t-shirt be like Christ? And what we've done is dumbed down the meaning of what it is to be a Christian. And now we call ourselves Christians instead of people calling us Christians because we are so much connected to Jesus. We have to point to ourselves instead of them saying, you guys are like Christ. And we need to gain that back. We need to have that kind of life that people see us and they say, you're like Jesus. Your life shows the evidence of God's grace. And it's because of the person 
of Jesus Christ. The reason I had you write these things up, Danny's going to come up right now. Because what we're going to do is we're going to have a time, just kind of a reflective worship. And I want you to think of some of these things, and I'm going to read some of them as we begin to worship. And I want to ask you a question. These things that you thought of about Jesus, can people think these things about you? Some of them, of course, creator of all, no. <laughs> that one won't work. But how about love, peace, faithful, comforter? Holy. Mercy. Love. Love seems to be popular. Son, the love of my life. things that Jesus mean to you, you need to mean to other people if you want to be a little Christ. He's called us to be his followers, his disciples, those who represent him. And so these things that you have written down and who Christ is to you, think as we worship how we can be this to someone else.
someone that helps with all my problems. Knowing I can go to him for everything in my life. Forgiving. Compassionate. Faithful. Merciful. Jesus is comfort. And with me, always through thick and thin.
suffered Jesus' loving kindness my healer, friend, counselor father always there unconditional love the best my rock and support
Great are you, Savior. Great are you, Jesus. Great are you, Savior. Great is your Compassionate, knowing that I can go to him for everything in my life. My best friend, someone that helps with my problems, my refuge. Forgiving, love and joy. Willingly suffered, loving kindness. The point is to make us aware. whose name we carry. All these things that Jesus is to you, to me, we are to be to others. We carry his name. We are to be like him. One of them said, cool. You know, all these things are pretty cool. And you, like me, are going to fall way short of who Jesus is, naturally. But it doesn't take away whose image we were created in, who we were supposed to represent, and now we can because of Jesus. And so I, I hope that this morning, as we've gone through this and we've seen how God's heart is always postured towards people, how it was postured towards those at Antioch, how it was postured towards Saul of Tarsus bringing him in, and how it changed the community so that they saw them, the evidence of God in their life, God's grace in their life, that those things would be evidenced in our life as well. You're aware of God's grace. If you've experienced it and it's changed you, then be Jesus to somebody. Be Christ to those around you. Be forgiving. Be compassionate. Be always there just like those men who lowered the paralytic. Give of yourself to someone. Like, that's being like Christ. According to the things that He's been to you, healer, friend, counselor, always there. May these things prompt our hearts to be more and more like him. Let's sing a couple more songs. Lord, you are beautiful, awesome, and wonderful.
go. Tell me when I need to leave. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me who I need to be. what I've heard, so much more than empty conversations filled with empty words, and I'm on fire when you're near me, I'm on fire when you speak, I'm on fire burning at this
Father, there's so many things in this fellowship that are going on. Father, we just give them to you. We ask, Lord, that you would move in us, that we would live and breathe. Let's lift our hands. And we're on fire. Father, change us this day. Help us to be that person that is called a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.